This is the Amadon Planet Podcast, episode 51. I'm your host, Joel Amadon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast, we are continuing the third edition of the Book Club in a bonus series where I am sharing book club materials that were created during this past year through the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast No Guilt Book Club series, and then offering just a little content on some other topics that I've wanted to talk about, but not quite full episode worthy. Uh, For example, in the last episode of this series, I talked about the Apple Plus TV series, Ted Lasso. You know, that's the um, Jason Sudeikis TV show where Ted Lasso is a American football coach that go te- uh, coaches football in England uh, with a Premier League team. Uh, so we talk about that. We also talk about the NBA, Milwaukee Bucks NBA championship and what each of those things taught me about teaching better. Yeah, a little lighter. It's, it's, it's still summer in my book. So wanted to, you know, again... The book club and a bonus series was kind of a little bit about taking a break. Um, not really a break because I guess I'm still putting out all these episodes, but uh, being able to lean on the content from the book club series. But then because always wanting to share that stuff and wanting to share the accumulation of content that we've created around that stuff, but also uh, around those books. But also, you know, I want to talk about some fun stuff, too. And Ted Lasso and the Milwaukee Bucks was kind of fun to talk about. But for this week, the featured uh, book or book club, is Reimagining the Mathematics Classroom, Creating and Sustaining Productive Learning Environments by Kathy Ye, Mark Ellis, and Carolee Kane Hurtado. This was a book club that in the, D- the Teaching Math Teaching podcast did in December, and uh, kind of excited to talk about it. We'll talk more uh, about it at the end of this episode, where I will share the materials assembled around the book and you can that you can use for your own book club. Uh, or your own reading of it, and rerun an episode of the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast, which is the culminating experience of the book club around this text. Again, all part of this book club and a bonus series. But as for the bonus, I wanted to talk about Thirst by Scott Harrison, who is the founder and CEO of Charity Water. So from the book's cover, this is a story of redemption, compassion, and a mission to bring clean water to the world. It's uh, a book I think about often. Um, I like thinking about marketing and branding and what stories we're telling. And when I think about like an example, an exemplar of that, I think about charity water. But then I also think about the amazing story of Scott Harrison, where he came from, what he did. And this was uh, a book that I learned about. uh, Scott Harrison was on a bunch of podcasts at the time, talked about it, and I couldn't help but uh, pick it up. And it's also, it's a great read, great story. But then I think there's some lessons contained within that I'd like to share. And again, part of this book club and a bonus, maybe not in hindsight, I'm kind of thinking that maybe this was full episode worthy because um, we're going to get into a decent amount of stuff here. But for now, uh, we'll just put it in part of the book club and the bonus, and maybe we'll talk about it again later. Um, as for some other stuff that's going on around Amazon Planet, we are um, sponsoring some, not sponsoring, I guess producing some other stuff. There's uh, a, a couple episodes that are going to appear on this feed that are not really in the Amadon planet, like podcast, like genre, but we're kind of helping some organizations uh, put out some good work, all in the vein of teaching better. So it fits with what the mission is of Amadon planet, which is to lead people to love others through teaching. And so the, uh, the launch years, which is an initiative of the university of Texas at Austin, Charles A. Dana center, um, is, sponsoring a series of events and a couple of them is our podcast episodes that are going to appear in this feed but then they're also going to be doing a series of webinars uh, all on the transition years so the next episode of uh that you see in this podcast stream is going to be kind of a 
subseries, uh, which is called the Transition Years. So the Amidon Planet is going to present the Transition Years, which is um, a series of episodes that are seeking to provide some explanations and clarity and um, basically underline the importance of the Transition Years, which are the last two years of high school and the first two years of post-secondary, whatever that take shape if that's you know if that's a, at a higher ed institution if that's at a junior college if that's in a trade school if that's in the military whatever so thinking about the transition years and how those years can really be um i don't know held held up in importance in thinking about students relationships specifically with mathematics and we're going to start the first episode in that the transition years sort of series is going to be with dr john staley you might recognize that name we talked about the power of organizations john staley was the um president of ncsm the national council of supervisors of mathematics we're going to talk with him uh in the first episode which is going to launch uh, i think uh around the end of august and then the the next episode is going to be in November, which is going to be at the end of all the experiences that we'll talk about within the first episode of the transition years. But anyway, it's kind of fun. So we're kind of doing something a little bit different. It's kind of a sub-series within the Amadon Planet feed, and then we're going to uh, try to see if maybe some other other math ed interested uh, podcasts might want to pick that up as well. So if you're wondering what's going on, that's what's going on. So you'll see a little bit different like um, branding and maybe you won't hear the same music in front, but we're just trying to, again, lead people to love others through teaching. And I think John is leading this initiative uh, through the Dana Center and I'm excited to uh, be a part of that and help them get that message out about the importance of that those years and because you know, I have a son in those years and so I'm, I'm already seeing it. So how do you best set him up for success in his relationship with that mathematics as he's going to make this transition out of high school into wherever he's going to go next. So anyway, that's on, that's on the docket. Now let's, let's talk about thirst. So actually, whoa, whoa, whoa before we talk about thirst, we got to make the disclaimer. This is going to be an awesome book. You're going to want this book. Okay. And there's no way again, in this book club and a bonus series where I'm kind of abbreviating my talks about the bonus stuff, which this is what I'm using thirst for. Um, it's not, you're not going to get the value of this book. I'm barely going to touch on uh, the content in this book. So if you like, if you like what you hear, I would highly, highly encourage you to go pick it up. And you know what? Head to that local bookstore, support those local bookstores and give them a little bit of business and go pick up a book. You know, maybe your summer has ended, but maybe your summer is about to end. This might be a, a great way to end your summer with a nice read about Scott Harrison, his amazing life and the kind of the birth and life of Charity Water, which if you're not familiar with, is all about bringing water, clean water to the world and simple as that. So. Links to purchase the book can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 51. Gosh, 51, around that backside. Um, sliding to 100. Here we go. Or seek it out wherever you buy high-quality books. Again, I like going to Square Books here in Oxford, Mississippi, but maybe you've got a favorite independent bookstore somewhere, those local bookstores. Go ahead and give them some support. Uh, and again, also, think about an amazing thing about a book, 20 bucks, and uh, you get the story of someone's life. That's kind of that's kind of an amazing bargain. So... All right, so now let's let's talk about thirst. So thirst is pretty amazing because again, Scott Harrison's life, if you've heard him on podcasts and everything, you've heard like he had a kind of a tumultuous life, even back from when he was a kid and his 
uh, mom had some uh, medical affliction that made her like have to be isolated from almost the world and think about what he and his uh, family had to do in order to help make it so she wouldn't have, uh, you know, major complications from uh, this medical affliction. And again, I'll let you read it in the book, but from there and, and his experience through life and his, his faith journey and everything, like he went through some ups and downs. It's almost kind of reminded me of like a behind the music sort of thing where, you know, the band goes up, the band goes down sort of thing. And, but the, but the amazing part is at the end of all of those ups and downs emerges this emerges charity water, which what I love about charity water and some of the things that I learned about charity water. And that's what we're going to get into here in this discussion is one, the simplicity of the mission is that even I, who, you know, haven't read this book in a while, still can tell you what Charity Water's mission is, is, is to make sure that clean water is available to everyone in the world. That's their mission. It's way out there, right? It's way out there. That's like their, their imagination is that people can get up and go have access to clean water every single day. Now, uh, some of my experiences in um, Haiti and some other parts of the world where, you know, clean water wasn't necessarily a given, wasn't as, as uh, well, it wasn't as easily accessible as my own experiences has been throughout my life. And you see like what that could mean to a community, what can that mean to uh, families, what that can mean to actually women a lot of times who are in charge in some of these communities to of getting water where their whole day could all be all just be about fetching water or even a child, a child's day could be soaked up with going to find water for their family. And so when you do that, when you make sure that access to water is readily access to clean water is readily accessible, one, they're healthier. And then two, they have more time to dedicate to other things. Like for kids, they can go to school, right? They can do things like that. Uh, for women, they, they maybe they could start businesses. They can do other things that can, that, you know, allows them, um, more access to the society that they're a part of, right? And so you see that influence uh, within some of the communities that I have witnessed in some of my travels uh, through the 410 Bridge, and we've talked about that in previous episodes. But you also see that same story happening within Cherry Water. So that's an important mission. And so, like, basically that was what got Scott Harrison inspired, you know, after, again, his ups and downs, which, again, are documented well within the book. And, but you see, he also had this creativity about him. He started do, being a photographer and where he was going around the world taking some pictures um, of some people. And then that allowed, that kind of gave him the vision for like, oh, man, how important is clean water to the world? And so one thing I learned uh, from this book and learned about teaching is like the simplicity of the mission. So again, he wants to help bring clean and safe water to every person on the planet. That's the simplicity of the mission. And and what he has done is made that center to what they're doing. That's not, you know, they're not going to open up daycares. They're not, um, you know, doing other things that are going to distract them from that mission is like, this is what we do. And this is why we're going to do it. So, you know, over and over again, I'll say about the podcast is that we're trying to, and overall Amadon planet, the influence of Amadon planet is we are going to lead people to love others through teaching. And if things fall in line with that, I'm all for it. But if things are like, you know, not in line with that, then, you know, that, then that makes it easy to say no to right now. So you might say, Hey, Joel, isn't, didn't you just do a episode last, uh, two episodes ago about, um, Ted Lasso and the NBA championship. Yeah, sometimes it's a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> but 
I mean, and maybe that's why I need to keep going back to this book about thirst, where he was not distracted. Scott Harrison is like, this is what we're about. We are about providing clean water. We're about drilling wells, clean water. So things that contribute to that mission, we are all about. So, and, and then also pay attention to branding. And this is something that I think we could be doing a better job as, as educators is thinking about, well, what messages do we send? Cause every time we are in front of a classroom, every time we are, um, send every time we have any sort of interaction with that's a world, we are representing not only ourselves, but our profession and our schools, all that. And so when we're trying to do that and when we're trying to, um, represent, um, represent, this profession and you think about like when I hear like another teacher uh, might say something like, wow, I'm not really a math person. And like, I don't know would that teacher, like hearing me saying like, you know what? I'm not really a reader like in front of students. And like, so like thinking about like the importance of branding and importance of saying like, or, or even to say like, you know, I'm, I don't really like learning about that stuff. Like, Oh my gosh. Like one, is that really true <laughs> that you don't like learning about stuff? But then two, like, why would we ever want to say that in front of a child who's looking at someone who is like an instructional leader, someone who's like leading their education, like hearing those sorts of messages. And so I think it's important, like whatever we say, like we have like a unifying thing about what do we, how do we represent ourselves? And so like, you know, for example, charity water is like, they're really simplistic on their mission is about clean water to everyone having access to clean water. And so, and then, Again, that helps them make decisions. Similar to also to something we do in our program here, uh, we talk about philosophy statements or in other, like the Ed Leadership Program, they talk about professional vision. But those sorts of things, like what is your mantra? What is the thing that guides you in your decision-making so that when something happens in your classroom, whatever, or something happens within your teaching, something happens, and even like we have kind of a mantra for our own family too, where if it falls in line with that, then we know how to make decisions. If it falls out of line with that, well, then we know that it's not that important. So for example, if I'm talking about one of my early like mantras, uh, philosophy statements was I wanted um, success for my students in mathematics and in life. That was my very, like one of my very first few ones. Um, and so you think about it, like if a student was not able to get their assignments done, right? First of all, I had to take myself out of it. This is not an offense to me. Right. They're not they're trying not to say, like, I, you know what I want to do? I want to get under Mr. Amidon's skin and I'm not going to do my assignments like that was my initial. Like, like, oh, they're trying to tick me off. Like, no, they're not. They just they just didn't do their assignment. It wasn't thinking like I'm going to I'm going to get back at him. I'm going to like they're not trying to get me. And so then, OK, so what could be what could get in the way of a student trying to get their assignment done and then thinking about, well, I want them to be successful in math and in life. So this is a problem. We do problems all the time in mathematics. So, and one of the things we want them to do in mathematics is make sense of problems and persevere in solving them. So, okay, so this is a problem. Okay, so what is the problem? We have the, the outcome is not being met of completing the assignments. All right, so what is getting in the way of the assignment? So now you think about all the things that could get in the way. You don't uh, know what to do, um, or you don't know what the assignment is, right? You don't have the materials to complete the assignment. You don't have space to do the assignment. You don't have the time to complete. I mean, like there's so many things you can make a long, long list. And this is something I would have my students do at the beginning of the year. Like what could get in the way of you not, what do you need to have in order to complete an assignment? 
And so you're thinking about that. Okay, so what is it that getting in the way? And so maybe it's like, I don't actually know what it is. All right, so now we need to work on writing down what the assignment is because then once we have that we're, we're good to go or I don't have the time like oh my goodness I don't have the time I don't or um so okay so now it's not I'm going to do it later when are you actually going to do it name the time all right in study hall rather than spending the first 20 minutes talking with my friends you know I'm going to do my assignment first and whatever whatever time I have at the end then I'm going to talk with my friend all right good or it's I don't have the resources necessary when I get stuck to get to help me get through all right, so maybe the, is there a, uh, a friend in the class that you could call or text and say, hey, how are you figuring out this problem? Or maybe there's a time you could do it when I'm available during, you know, like I have a prep period so you can come and talk to me or the resource period or whatever. You know, so again, all of those things are trying to help them be successful in math and in life. And so using that philosophy statement to guide decision making to say like, you know what, this is not about just marking them off and punishing them because they're trying to get me back. No, let's help them make sense of this problem to persevere song, help them be successful in math and in life. So going back to the mission over and over again. So I mean, I think that's something from this book, you know, they go back to the mission, like we're trying to bring clean water to the world. How do we do that? How do we do that better? How do we do that in ways that's sustainable so that we're using local people for these things and not, you know, uh, talking about a book earlier in the podcast, uh, helping when helping hurts, you know, if it's something that's not even asked for by a community, if the community is not in charge of it, then it's, it's not going to be valued by the community. So, you know, thinking of making sure we're involving community partners, they, they do that. And they talk about that in the book as well. So simplicity of the mission is good. And the, using that mission to guide decisions. Another thing is transparency. And they are painfully transparent um, with Charity Water. So Charity Water, they say every single dollar goes to drilling a well. Not only that, they created it so that you could go and find out where your dollar actually goes and which well you had. So you can go and visit that well if you wanted to. Kind of amazing. All right. So every dollar goes there. So what that meant was, and this is where the painful parts it comes from, is that they actually need to make two organizations, one to do the water stuff, but then the other one to actually run the organization because they said every dollar that you give will go there. So now they had to raise money for to run the actual organization. And so that, uh, that you know, so having the transparency, I think, helped them raise money, but then it also helped them. On, so help them raise money to actually go towards the wells because people be like, hey, the dollar I gave went to this well and I can actually point to it. And that's pretty cool. But on the other side, having that transparency on the charity side led to people wanting to give to the other side. And I think they call it the spring, which is their organization, which allows people to contribute to the actual organization running. So that um, that has allowed people to, you know, uh, contribute in other ways. Um, and, and this was, uh, well... Let's talk first about transparency. I mean, I think transparency is helpful. Again, for them, transparency was helpful in their well drilling because then that allowed them to raise the money for the organization because people are like, ah, this organization is doing really well, but they're not putting any money towards themselves, their salaries, their um, their you know infrastructure, and I'm willing to give to that because I see the awesomeness that they're doing on the other side. So transparency was very helpful. So that made me think also too, like transparency is helpful in teaching because clear and why you're doing what you're doing. One to yourself, uh, you want to be able to explain every student, every, uh, explain what you're doing to the people you are teaching, uh, the people who are, you know, uh, connected to those people you're teaching. So I'm thinking about if I'm teaching a student, then I'm thinking, can I explain it to a parent, an administrator, 
to myself even. So having that transparency is helpful around the board. So it's like, I'm not hiding anything. I'm not waving my hands like, that's a B. And it's like, well, what made it a B? Like, can I explain to a parent why this is a B? Can I explain to um, my administrator why this is a B? And it actually, I mean, going back, I have a, you know, an example from my own teaching experience where I was, you know, I think I was a first or second year teacher and it was after the summer and someone, uh, a student and parents were upset about a grade that they had received. They didn't understand why they got what they got. And I, you know, was kind of upset, like, oh my, and the, the administrator actually then ended up changing the grade. And, you know, I was trying to explain it. And like, when I was trying to explain it, it's like, oh goodness, this got into like hand waving, like, oh, it's, it's, a, it's this, it's this, it is that, trust me, it is that. And like, you can't go off, trust me. In that situation, I mean, now, and again, it's kids' GPA. It matters a lot to them. GPA matters in their academic and economic uh, future. And so, if I can't explain why they got and then why they got what they got, then that's a problem. And so, now, whenever I do my grades, I want to make sure one, the NCTM principles and standards for school mathematics talked about. Um, the assessment principle, which says that information like assessment and I'm paraphrasing assessment information is not only for the teacher, but it's also for the student. Right. And so knowing where a student is, is in their experience is not only, not only that I need to know it as the teacher, but the student needs to know it as well because they're, it's their progress. Right. And so there you go back to transparency. And so like, you know, one thing I like to use is rubrics where rubrics are very uh, like descriptive, indicators of one what matters so on a rubric it'll say this matters this matters this matters and then on the uh, on the other axes it'll say like and this is what matters and then this is what a high quality response in what this category looks like and here's what this you know the secondary category in the, in the tertiary i think tertiary yeah anyway it has gradients of success right all the way from the topmost to the bottommost and I love those. I love those because not only does it give me clarity on how I should assign a grade, but also it gives clarity to the student. And then what's great about this is that if I have, if there's a disagreement, like, hey, I didn't, I deserved a better grade. I'm like, fine, use the same rubric, assess yourself, and then we, we can discuss about how we are different. And then those are, and I've had those discussions before, and they end up being great discussions. And we both leave... I have a better understanding of their understanding of the content. Cause again, the whole point is to have them have some sort of understanding of the, you know, un uh, concepts and uh, whatever I'm trying to accomplish within the assignment. So I get to better clarity about what they know. And maybe, maybe it didn't show up right on the assignment, but they have better understanding than what was demonstrated. And then say, oh, okay, how can we better reveal that in future work? Or how can I write a better assignment that allows it to come through? So, that transparency again is something that I think is helpful, right? And then, and now when someone comes and say, "Hey, what? Why is my grade? What my grade?" Like we can have a discussion about it, and it's pretty clear about what that is. And then you get more people that, "Hey, I think you know, Amadon's tough, but I think he's fair." And so, same thing goes for parenting or other things. Like you know, if you have clear about why you're doing what you're doing, then that allows. Um, that allows you, one, to explain to the person that you're interacting with, but then it allows you to explain it to others as well. And so then it's not, again, 
we can eliminate favoritism. We can eliminate some other human things um, because there's more people taking a look at it, right? So I like that. I like that transparency. That's a great lesson from Thirst. One other um, lesson from Thirst I wanted to bring up is the creativity and problem solving, which we kind of talked about problem solving a little bit, but they, again, uh, with their the way that they were um, transparent in their <laughs> um, fundraising where every dollar goes to every dollar for drilling wells uh, and creating access to water for some of these uh, communities that they're a part of every dollar goes there. So that made it. So they had to have two organizations. So they already created a problem for themselves, but the, they had lots of creativity in, in raising money, which was kind of cool. So they would have some galas and things like that. And then one, one time they had a live well drilling. And so they said, we're ready to drill a well. We just need to fund it. And so if you want this, if, if we can get to this amount of money, we can drill this well and we can watch it live happening. And I thought that was pretty cool. Like to actually see like this dollar is going to drill that well. And that is where it is going. That's pretty cool. But then also they got creative in like how people could help them. Right. They came up with other ways. It wasn't just, hey, just write us a check. But like, oh. You've got airline miles. We could use those. You have some uh, office space available. We could use that. Oh, you are a tech. Uh, you're brilliant at tech, and you could offer us a way to do some unique ways of giving. Like, uh, I th I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, uh, I, th I couldn't quite find this in the book, but pretty sure, like, they started the whole birthday thing, like giving your birthday to uh, Charity Water. And so, or if not, they're a big, con uh, someone who started uh, proliferating that uh, activity early on. But anyway, like you could give your birthday. And so they created the mechanism behind that to, you know, collect the money uh, through credit cards and stuff like that. So that takes some technology and, you know, they could outsource that. And I think they developed their own in order to do that as well. So, uh, and there were tech people that said, Hey, we'll give money, but we're also give you some expertise so we can advance your infrastructure and your techno technological infrastructure underneath. Because there was a lot of technology, because especially with the dollar tracing to where the wells are that people funded and, and then all the giving of birthdays and people wanted to give one time, people want to give monthly, like all that takes some, some, some technology behind some infrastructure. And so people could give a number of different ways. And also, you know, putting on these galas and things and people said, you know what, I'm not I don't have a lot of money, but I can put on a good party. And so I can help you do that in order to, so I can help you raise some money. Like, all right. So like thinking about how people can help you. So and I think it, this is, brings it all together. If I have the simplicity of my mission, I have transparency in what I'm doing, then people can see how they might best be able to help, Right. And so they could use their time, talents, and expertise to contribute because it's kind of like it's under glass, right? You can kind of see how it works. Like, oh, um, I could provide this or I could do that or, uh, you know, and, and again, like I can write the check or do some other things that way, some simpler ways. But there are, might be some other ways that people can, again, use their time, talents, and expertise. So that's Thirst. It's really good. You should go pick it up. Highly recommend it. But but. Not to make this a uh, hour and a half long podcast, but probably should dive into the book club, uh, the book club part of our episode where we're talking about reimagining the math class, uh, math, cl mathematics classroom, creating and sustaining productive learning environments by Catherine Ye, Mark Ellis, and Carolee Kane Hurtado. 
This was our third in our um, book club series from the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. Again, kind of started in pandemic times, and this was at in December of 2020, so right at the end. And we, this is when we really embraced the No Guilt Book Club. And I was just like, you know what? This is probably the worst time to have a book club, December of 2020. But I'm like, you know what? Maybe people are traveling less and stuff. I tried to, you know, reason with myself that'd be a good time, but really, December of 2020. Yeah, not the greatest time for a book club, but it was a great time for a book club because we had amazing discussions with some amazing uh, math educators around this book that we captured on in YouTube and Facebook and that are going to be connected to this uh, the show notes here, and we'll give you the link in just a second. It'll be amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 51. But so we're going to have... The breakdown of how we read the book, we're going to have the links to the videos to each of the book chats, which I would highly recommend because all the authors are there. Uh, my Teaching Math Teaching Podcast co-host is there, Ava Thanheiser, and um, some of the teachers also that were a part of, that are named in the book are in there as well. And they were amazing as well. And actually, one of the book chats we had finished and I hung on because I was the host of the, the stream. And so, you know, hanging on because they were chatting and just seeing how these teachers were loving on each other and talking about their experiences, you know, dealing with pandemic teaching and stuff. It was kind of amazing. And so um, I was so inspired by this book that I wanted to use it in my class and we were going to be using it coming up. So uh, there's an endorsement for you. So, again, it's Reimagining the Math Classroom with Catherine Ye, Mark Mark W. Ellis and Carolee Kane Hurtado. This is going to be that, again, that culminating episode of of the book club uh, that's uh, an episode of the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast, which was, again, the culminating experience of the book club. And so we're going to play that now, and that'll be it for this episode of the Eminem Planet Podcast. We'll wrap it up at the end. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. The hosts are Ava Thanheiser, Dusty Jones, and I'm Joel Amidon. Today, we are talking with Catherine Ye, Assistant Professor in the uh, Atala College of Educational Studies at Chapman University. We're talking with Mark Ellis, Professor of Secondary Education at California State University at Fullerton. And we're talking with Carolee Cohn-Hurtado, Assistant Professor in the School of Education at California State University, Channel Islands. And because we're, we're talking with them because they are the three lead authors of our Teaching Math Teaching No Guilt Book Club that happened this past December of 2020. We read and discussed reimagining the mathematics classroom, creating and sustaining productive learning environments. Every week we did that on Facebook Live and on YouTube and are finally, in 2021, we're finally wrapping it up, uh, that No Guilt Book Club with this culminating podcast episode. So I guess we're really living, leaning on that No Guilt Book Club name. So welcome, Catherine, Mark, and Carolee. How are y'all? Hi, y'all. This is Kathy. Um, such a joy to be here with you all. Thanks for inviting us. And welcome, Mark. Thank you. Happy to be here. Appreciate you uh, making this possible and sharing sharing wonderful information about this this book that we worked on so, so many years ago. Yeah. And hello, Carolee. Hi, this is Carolee, and thank you for um, having us today. And it is a special day on top of us teaching this uh, or uh, recording this podcast episode. It is Catherine's birthday. So happy birthday, Catherine. Happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) 
and it, it's an audio so like you know we, we don't try not to make anyone shy anything about that but happy birthday it's a great it's great that you'd spend your day with us so so all right before we get uh too far into this in the spirit of no guilt the no guilt book club and uh just in case someone has not read this book would you summarize uh the main ideas of the book whoever wants to take that question since it's my birthday, I'll go first. And then- Fantastic. <laughs> they'll, they'll enhance it. They'll make it better after, after what I share. Um, the very first sentence of our book, it says, in this book, we focus on students learning a powerful mathematics. And um, development of this book came from the belief that mathematics is powerful. How our students have a chance to engage and learn mathematics and, and how they experience it is really important. So every decision a teacher makes matters. And the goal of this book was to think about classrooms and our communities as learning spaces. And every chapter unpacks and provides classroom examples of teachers who are engaging from physical learning space, discourse, chapter two. Um, I'm, all, I'm blanking out here because so, so early in the morning, sorry. <laughs> Discourse chapter two, tasks chapter three, assessment chapter four, families chapter five. Um, examples of what this looks like in urban, suburban, inclusive, and bilingual classrooms. Um, I think oftentimes we want a recipe for what research-based and excellent teaching looks like. Um, there are definitely concrete strategies, but it's also personalized. It's contextualized to each um, each setting to the students and the teachers there. So the book is really about designing rich learning spaces for powerful math. I think that's a good summary of it. Um, I, I also add to that the three sort of principles that we share at the beginning of the text mm, that yeah. guide the work. Uh, the first is teach toward the understanding of powerful mathematics. This is the mathematics that's central to really having an understanding of, of the discipline and taking ownership, being able to use mathematics in, in flexible ways. Uh, view students as sense makers with valuable and important ideas is the second of those principles. This idea of, of really seeing our students as competent mathematical thinkers and it's our job to listen to them, to learn from them and help them uh, learn from each other as they get into what it's like to be a mathematician. Uh, the third is to nurture a mathematics community of learners. You know, learning mathematics is not done in isolation. We're part of a community within our classrooms, beyond our classrooms, within the community. So to really um, draw on that idea that mathematics is part of, of all of us and is something that should be celebrated and, and uh, nurtured within a, a sense of community. Nice. Yeah, I love those principles and, and thank you for I'd also like those. to add too that we spent three years working in classrooms uh, with teachers. So, you know, this was very much um, a labor of um, love uh, with our teachers um, and administrators that um, we got to learn from as well. So um, it was awesome to be able to uh, be in classrooms almost every day. And then um, Mark, Catherine and I, would, we would meet weekly to discuss, um, you know, what we were finding and, and write and eat and drink. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I guess, so then that leads right into, so, you know, how did this book come along? So, I mean, you talking about like being in classrooms, but where, where did the kernel, where did it start? What's the seed of this book? 
So we were approached by NCTM. Um, I was approached by NCTM um, with interest to, if I was interested to write this book. And um, I, my first thought is who can I write with that are better writers than me and know more than me <clears throat> and are deeply connected to communities. Um, and Carolee and Mark came to my mind right away. Carolee and Mark, um, their research and their, just who they are, they're in classrooms all the time, working with teachers and learning from teachers. And I thought, and I just felt that that was so important. Um, and then we started reaching out to the teachers we knew, to the districts that we're a part of, looking at teachers that's been identified as being exemplar and being also very intentional of really thinking about diversifying the classrooms that we're a part of. Um, there is a need for us as we're reimagining the math classroom. Part of that work is reimagining who's centered in the stories that's being told. Who are the students that are captured in the stories that are highlighting their mathematical brilliance? How about the teachers themselves? So there was a lot of intention in ensuring that um, I always say that this book is, will always be one of my favorite projects because it's about honoring teachers and honoring students for the brilliance that they have and that they are. Um, so, so that's a little bit of the, the origin story there. And if I could add to that, um, NCTM was, you know, the, the publications committee at the time really wanted uh, a book written that would take the uh, professional standards for teaching mathematics, which were published in 1991, and, and revisit those and update that and, and work that into a, a 21st century book that, that was filled with examples from current classrooms that connected you know, this, this document that was visionary you know, back in the early 1990s. If you go look at it, you know, the, the standards in that document, worthwhile mathematical tasks, the teacher and the student's role in discourse, learning environment, uh, you know, th th this was something that the organization had set in place so long ago. And so they wanted that to sort of grow into the 21st century in a, in a very rich way. And I think was very smart in asking Catherine to lead that project. And, and I appreciate that I was invited to, to take the journey with her and, and Carolee as well, who um, from both of them, I've learned so much. And, and as Carolee shared, we learned so much from the teachers who allowed us into their classrooms to, to observe and to learn with them and their students. Yeah, you, you can't deny, you, you just open up a few pages of this book that this is like rooted in experiences with teachers in the classroom doing this work. And so it just really was a, appreciative of that. And then also when we reached out to you all about doing this uh, No Guilt Book Club in December, one, you're all on board, but then it was like, hey, how can, and, and doing the weekly chats with it and like, hey, how can we include um, all of us? And then how can we include all these teachers uh, as well and get as many teachers as possible and so that was the amazing part of those chats is just getting the experiences of those uh, teachers down and so want to talk about those weekly book chats um, and say well what were some what were some highlights I was pausing I didn't want to always go first um, I feel like it's harder to go second and third um, okay thanks <laughs> I will <laughs> um 
my highlight was having the teachers come on. It's, um, I feel that in our community, we need to highlight um, teacher expertise more. I, it was so joyful to, um, to have them be a part and share out their knowledge and to share out their experiences with the book, but also just their rich teaching knowledge. Um, the challenges that they face right now, teaching during the pandemic, um, and just honoring their voice, honoring their expertise. Um, many of them have, um, have talked to me since and talked about how extremely special this is. So, it, so thank you for that. Yeah, I would say something similar to that. Not only the chance to, to have Catherine and Carolee together, to have the three of us you know, together in, in some of those was wonderful, but, but to see the teachers and to hear from, from them what they're doing, um, what the participation in, in this project meant to them, and to realize you know, just how incredibly hardworking and committed to students they are. Um, of course, we knew that when we asked the, them to allow us into their classrooms, but it's always you know, wonderful to have a chance to, to be reminded of that and to really see them in person, or I guess see them in video, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and really um, appreciate all the work that they're doing. And, and also say, you know, I think something that's unique about this book is it's not just research or theoretical, it is connected to practice. And that was at a central part of the effort that we made when we wrote this book because there are plenty of books out there that can say, oh, research says do A, B, C, D, E, you know, all the way A to Z. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. But as a classroom teacher, you look at it and you think, oh my gosh, I, well, I, can't, I can't possibly do all that. That's just too much. We did not want to produce yet one more text like that. So this book really is, as, as you shared, Joel, it's really embedded in practice and threaded throughout our examples from so many different classrooms of what is possible and I appreciate that Catherine pointed out in the beginning, it's not that it's prescriptive, everyone follows a formula to teach in this way. No, it's a set of principles that become enacted in a variety of ways because the context in which each of you teach is different. Who are your students? Who are the communities you serve? Those factors have to be brought into thinking about how to most productively create that learning environment that really sustains your students and, and builds on their identities and helps them connect with mathematics in rich, powerful ways. Well, that, that, and just to jump on that, just because it's really connected to um, what you're sharing, Mark, is just when I was on uh, one of the book chats, there was, you know, I think, two or three other teachers. And everyone in the, you know, the current circumstances was wildly different, whether it was a hybrid situation or all online or you're dealing with trying to deal with face to face and like still like thinking about how are they enacting these principles and, and, and putting them into play, you know, not uh, and figuring it out and trying to figure it out and like bouncing things off of each other. And then even when the book chat was over, it was like, they're still talking and figuring things out and how they're working with each other. And then also just having joy being around each other in the virtual room. And it was just a, a great to see like all these different situations, but still trying to this common thread of, of trying to teach powerful mathematics about caring about the assets that kids are bringing to the classroom and how do we put them into play within their teaching. It was just, I don't know, that was just a pleasure to see and, and you know, just building off of what you said, Mark. So I just wanted to jump in there. Other highlights. 
I, I also agree with Catherine and Mark that the highlight for me was being able to um, listen from the teachers themselves. And um, on the back end of that, it was very nice to hear from teachers that we've worked with um, in the past, as well as my teacher candidates who were able to, you know, listen into the podcast and hear from teachers who are teaching during the pandemic that here are some things that are possible. I think that it was really inspirational for, you know, some of our teachers to uh, be able to hear that, especially when people are feeling isolated right now. I think that's a great point, Carolee, and, and I'm glad to hear that that's one way that this uh, book and these ideas can be used, uh, even through these book chats. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more um, about some other ways that this book uh, could be used with in the process of teaching math teachers. Catherine, I know you don't like to go first, but you're the one who really likes to use this in math methods. So do you want to start? Sure. Um, so I come from the world of teacher noticing that what we look for, we find. Um, so I think I just sent Ava a picture of my children who made me breakfast today. And um, in the center of their bagel of, of my avocado toast is a heart-shaped um, um, watermelon radish. And I share this is because um, as, as teachers, as folks in the math education community, we've been, um, we've learned to look at math and to look at math ability in certain ways. And the book was written in ways that can allow us to notice how each chapter at the end comes with um, a list of things to help us engage in investigation together with others. So the book was written in a way where um, there's a stop and reflect to help us help each other, learning from the, the amazing teachers we were with and from the research that exists. How can we look into our classrooms and um, really identify the brilliance of our children? And to honor children's brilliance, there's a lot we need to do, even with chapter one with physical environment. Where we situate, how the room is set up, what's on your wall, how accessible are the mathematical tools? Do students have agency to be able to easily go up and grab it so that it's honoring who they are and math is relational? Um, all those things come together to help the reader start to notice how they can start making small but powerful tweaks to make powerful mathematics available for all and to honor the powerful mathematics that's already available for children and two children, they already have it innately and within communities as well. So the chapters were broken apart so that um, um, we're working with teachers of mathematics or mathematics teachers, we can unpack these elements of a classroom together um, into smaller parts and see how it also comes together as a broader piece, right? Zooming in and zooming out. I think we really tried to approach it as um, a system that is connected. I know I really like my teacher candidates to think about what their vision of teaching and learning math is. And then how do these components come together to enact that? Um, so Catherine gave the example of the physical and virtual space. Well, um, you know, when you go into a classroom, you can see the kind of learning environments that are, the learning opportunities that are available for students. So how are we creating that space um, to enact the ways that we want students to engage. 
um, for instance? What are the tasks that come into play? How are we going to have students collaborate around that? All of these pieces come together, even though we wrote them um, chapter by chapter. Um, I hope that teachers and teacher candidates are able to see that it is um, an interconnected system that um, helps us to see the bigger picture of the ecology of the classroom. Yeah, and I think the book is also really useful for work with classroom teachers, um, you know, in-service teachers, experienced teachers who are looking to add to what they're already doing and to add ideas to their practice. Because again, it's embedded with examples of practicing teachers um, putting these principles into their classrooms. And so not only the text on the page, but also in the more for you, the digital resources that are available if you have the book, um, there's some video clips and actual student work examples and, and examples of tasks that bring it to life and um, offer you know, more of a three-dimensional view of what this really looks like. And I think that's really powerful when teachers are trying to get their heads around, you know, what does it mean to engage students in rich mathematical discourse? You know, it's easy to say, but it's much harder to actually do that well. And so I think the examples provide some concrete uh, tools when you're engaging, uh, working with teachers, whether as, as a math coach or, or some other sort of professional learning setting um, to help the teachers really dive deeper into these, these ideas and these practices. Yeah, Mark, thank you for mentioning the uh, electronic research. I mean, that was one thing I just kept noticing. One, I kept thinking of this book as like orange juice concentrate. It's already like a small book and like it's only what 130 some pages, but it's so packed full of good stuff. But then on top of it, all those electronic resources that you can uh, jump into too, like you said, to make it more three-dimensional. Like I can just see that it's being used as a way for, you know, teachers or pre-service teachers who maybe not have been exposed to some of these ways of teaching mathematics. Maybe they had a very, you know, um, kind of sit and get sort of approach to their own math education. And so being able to have those pictures and, and videos and av availability of that sort of uh, to make sense of what they're reading is, is really valuable. So thank you all for including that. Um, what about, so, so in using the book, so any, any tips for work, any just, you know, what would advice you see somebody that's got the book and they're like, Hey, they're going to start reading it. Would you say like, Hey, just be sure to do this or be sure to pay attention to this. Any, any tips for working with teachers using the book? So when, when I'm in my teaching, um, those who know me know that I love post-its. Like I just, I love post-its to, to <laughs> Um, and whenever I'm teaching what I'm teaching with others, um, we would look at parts of the book because there's just teaching is a learning profession. Mm -hmm. There's always something um, we can do better because um, the context we're in is always different. So what um, I would do and the teachers I'm with would do is we would look at the book is all about self-reflection. It, it has guiding prompts, um, vignettes along the way for us to reflect upon and to connect to our own practice. So when we notice something, it might be, for example, in, in chapter two, it talks about asking purposeful questions and it gives us examples. So a teacher may look at their, a video of their own teaching 
or maybe just go through the list of purposeful questions and then and notice what many of our teachers often do that some of the things we're really, we may be really good at asking students to probe their student answers, asking the why and the how, but maybe I need extend to support students to make connections. That I want to ask more questions that would have them um, connect their learning to someone else's, connect what they're doing, um, make a graph or a picture or a model of, of, of their solution strategy. So then we would put on a post-it and we would leave it on, right now we're on Zoom, we're Zooming and teaching, it's virtual, so it might be sticking it on, on the side of my laptop to help me remember just one or two and always no more than three for me. What are three things I wanna try today? Three little small, but I know powerful moves that can broaden participation and broaden how my students feel and experience and honor their competence beyond speed and accuracy. So post-its for me, I love. Nice. I'd like to add what Kathy said is, um, she said, you know, what are two or three things that I can try? I um, would encourage teachers to think about um, trying those things a few times. You know, sometimes the first time we try something, it's like that pancake that doesn't work out so well, that first one, but then, you know, the next couple pancakes turn out perfect. So, uh, you know, being able to be patient with ourselves as we try something new and listen to the students and then um, keep building from there. I think it's important to to not read this in isolation, right? To to invite others into your reading, whether it's a, a colleague, you know, who's who's teaching at your school site or someone you you've met through, you know, Twitter or, or some other social network, um, or even you know a, a parent of one of your students who's who's you know really curious about the teaching of mathematics. You know, to invite others into this experience so that there's some um, way to trade ideas back and forth as you're processing this, but also so there's some um, accountability in a, in, a, in a social sense, right? There's someone checking in on you. Oh, did you try that? How did that go? Um, because you know our lives are so busy. We have so many different responsibilities in addition to obviously being educators. So it helps to have someone checking in. I, I will say this book would not have been written had we not the three of us checked in with each other mm -hmm. in friendly ways, but to, you know to keep things moving. Oh, hey, how's it going? By the way, how's that chapter coming along, Mark? <laughs> um, you know, oh yeah, I'm I'm on it. I'm on it. Uh, so you know that that sense of community among um, folks uh, reading the book and going through some of this work, I think is really important to, to help us um, be more committed to it and, and follow through. I mean, I think we all have the best of intentions, but actually following through and trying it, I think it's really what's going to make it stick. Well, yeah, even to, just to combine those is, you know, like Catherine says, I'm going to try three things and just to share, hey, to your, you know, teaching partner or to your, you know, math coach or whatever and say, Hey, I'm going to try these three things this week, check in with me next week. And just having that community being that sort of accountability person, not for like, you know, in a mean way, but just knowing that, Hey, someone might ask me about this and I want to, I want to actually try it. And, and if it uh, doesn't go as well as I think, okay, let's give ourselves a little grace, but then maybe you have somebody to talk to about it to, to improve it for next time. And having that sort of setup is uh, pretty powerful. And Joe, I want to build on something you just said that's, that I think is really powerful. It's this idea of grace. Mm. Um, 
I think as, as teachers are, are reading through books or any, any sort of resource, um, it's importance of reminding ourselves to give each other grace that um, teaching is hard. I'm, I'm in classroom teachers now and um, most teachers I know are working 12, 14 hour days and we have conflicting obligations that we have mm-hmm. to meet. And I think another goal of this book is to, we have lots of questions and lots of examples of teachers who are from, from pre-service teachers. There's pre-service teachers featured in the book to teachers who've been teaching for 30 years and to highlight the fact that teachers have agency. Um, oftentimes, I think we take away the agency of teachers and they're confined to have to teach a certain way and it has to be very lockstep. Um, but I hope that as reading this book, teachers feel the power of their brilliance, the, the, the everyday knowledge that they have to make good decisions for their students um, and a sense of agency, like what Mark said, grounded in some key principles um, for them to start looking at the decisions available for them to be able to make. And hopefully this book will go beyond teachers, but I really hope that we can get more district folks and policymakers to read this book. So for us to think closely about what we ask of teachers to do and what we ask of children to do. And is it really grounded in principles of um, culturally responsive, asset-based, um, rigorous mathematics? So I'm going to call her out. I know Ava might have, and I know you didn't get a chance to share a highlight earlier. So maybe you have a highlight from the book chats, Ava, that you didn't get a chance to share. Because I'm curious what you have to say about that. But also, I know you might have a question too. So I'll put Ava on the spot just for a second. Yeah, so I had not read the book before, which I don't know why, but I read it with the book club. And there is so many things that I took away from reading the book that even um, kind of already permeate my research agenda. So I'm doing some data analysis right now of a case study and I had not considered physical space. And now I've read this book and I'm like, oh my God, that's such a huge part of it. Um, So just bringing in the different aspects and each of them is just written in a way that I think, addresses anybody who reads it. Like it doesn't matter what, like if you just started teaching or you've been teaching teachers for a while, there is something to learn. And uh, you know, if I wanna like highlight what I learned, we're gonna be here for five more hours. So we're not gonna do that, but it is an amazing book. Um, And so I just wanted to thank you guys to read it with us or allow us to, ask you questions while we were reading it. And yeah, when's the next book coming out? I, I can, I think I can show, I, I would love a, a Reimagine the Math Classroom too. Um, and that's something I've been thinking about for quite a while. And I know I've, um, I've spoken to Mark and Carolee a little bit about it. So right now there's nothing under contract. Um, we do have Ava, that's also part of this project. Um, we're working on a K through eighth on mathematics, um, mathematics lessons um, for for social justice, and we are looking for teachers who are interested in, in in trying out and piloting these lessons. So 
if, nice. if you know of any, if you are interested, those of you listening, we would love for you to pilot these pre-K through eighth grade lessons um, and give us feedback and, and contribute to the book because um, teachers are, you know, context matters and your expertise matters. So I know that book is, is something that, that I'm working on with Ava and others as well. Nice. Well, anything else uh, to promote besides, uh, you know, heading to wherever you get books and, and purchasing this book, but any, anything else to promote out there? I think I'll just mention if, if uh, Catherine ha won't, um, the, the Catalyzing Change books from NCTM are uh, an incredible resource that are meant not just for, for educators, but, but administrators and other uh, interested folks involved with education uh, about what needs to be challenged in terms of structures and systems of mathematics education that have for so long um, marginalized far too many students and dehumanized their experiences of learning mathematics. And I know Catherine was one of the writers of the, of the elementary uh, volume in that series of Catalyzing Change. So that's something I would recommend everyone, every school, every district have a copy and have book studies uh, around that and start thinking about how those, uh, the, the information in those books can inform the decisions that I think all districts are making now examining how do we shift our practices to be more equitable, to be less racist, right? To be more inclusive. And I so I think it's a great resource in terms of mathematics uh, education. And also mention um, for those that haven't seen, there's a, there's a website equitablemath.org and they published a digital resource called a pathway to equitable math instruction. Um, although it's the content is geared at grade six through eight, but I think the ideas cut across grade levels and they have a series of, of webinars that they did last fall that they've posted the recordings. So that's a great resource as well for, for teachers um, engaged in, in this work. Well, we're going to put all these things that you mentioned on the, our show notes page uh, at teachingmathteachingpodcast.com. I believe that's the full address. And uh, yeah, anything else to, to mention out there? Curly, did you have anything? Um, nothing that I want to add yet, although um, it's, it's the nice shot in the arm that I need to keep uh, writing on parent and family engagement. Um, so I don't have any shout outs for that yet, but it's in the works. On its way. Uh, anything else, Ava, Dusty, anything else for any last words for y'all? Just thank you for the book and all the amazing ideas and happy birthday, Catherine. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for uh, sharing your expertise and your time uh, with all of us and the listeners. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and I, and I just, I was, I'm sitting here and listening to, again, all this brilliance that's happening and just and know how much I enjoyed the book and just thinking when, you know, Ava, Dusty and I got together to, you know, put this thing together, we were thinking about what would, you know, newer folks to the area of teaching math teachers want to know. And I'm thinking like, hey, we're exposing them in this, you know, through this book club to a, a great resource. And then we're also exposing folks that might be like, how do I interact with schools and with teachers and the way that you all, your relationships with teachers and how you honor them and, you know, highlight, you know, exposing the brilliance of teachers and then as they're exposing the brilliance of students and like 
all that's there. I mean, it's, there, there's so much good uh, here and just, I just, I'm excited to, excited to share. So just thank you for this great work. Thank you for all that you've been doing and, and thank you for uh, sharing your time with us on the podcast. So can I just say when, when, when you all selected today to have um, the recording, um, I quickly said yes, because I cannot, you know, it's early in the morning for us here in California. <laughs> yeah. Um, woke up, right? Um, rolled over and I cannot think of a better way to celebrate today. Um, because, um, thank you, Joel, Ava and Dusty. Thank you so much for, um, um, I, I'm still so deeply humbled by the invitation. Um, it, it is, Carolee and Mark are, are, in my eyes, considered, you know, we're considered, I consider them family. And the teachers that opened up their classrooms to us, um, we're all still very, very close to. So thank you for showing that um, within the work of changing, um, the work of catalyzing change or creating movements, it's really about building relationships and um, providing space for others to share their stories. And our goal was to share the stories of teachers and children. And just like you, you all, you three, um, creating this space for us to share stories and so many other math educators. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And, and thanks again uh, out there for everyone listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can also rate and review it. That'd be great too. We hope that you are able to implement something that you just heard, maybe uh, get exposed to a resource like the Reimagining the Mathematics Classroom and take an opportunity to interact with other math teacher educators. Okay, see, it's good, right? So uh, that is all I have for this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Show notes for the podcast can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 51. They'll have all the links to the books and all the content from the book club will be there. So if you're looking for that, go ahead and, and uh, navigate to that website. Again, that's amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 51. If you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review. Subscribe to the Amadon Planet download, contain teaching resources and updates from Amadon Planet. We're going to get that back up and running once uh, I'm back in uh, school. So we, we got a few, a couple more weeks and then we'll get that rolling. But we'll also, again, ha have that... Uh, the transition years podcast coming up. So that's going to be the next episode. So look out for that. Uh, another way to support is to follow Am Amadon planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amadon planet, Facebook page. You can also check out the Amadon planet store or Amadon planet bookshop, because again, through your purchases, through both of those links, um, the Amadon planet store and the Amadon planet bookshop, which can be found at the, in the footer at amadonplanet.com. If you make purchases that supports the podcast. So again, this podcast is brought to you by you. So thank you for listening and thank you for doing, uh, supporting us through those purchases. So again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet Podcast. Thanks to Matt Milton for the music in this episode. Love it. Thanks, Matt. Finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.